Welcome to another episode of the Iabound Podcast. I'm warning you now, this episode's going to be much different than our previous episodes. Less sort of, you know, content news-packed and more of an opinion. I had something I really wanted to chat with Dusty about when it comes to uh, new technologies, centralization, how to develop new apps, just inside-outside perspectives. So, hope you appreciate. If you do, uh, please make it to the end to get some more information. Let us know. We'll keep it up. Otherwise, I don't really intend to make too many of these. So, hope you enjoy. You're listening to the IOBound podcast, where our disks are busy and our CPUs are doing absolutely nothing. So like, what was it, two or three days ago, I downloaded that RSS reader on my phone, and I don't use my phone. Like, I have email on it, and at this point, essentially, it's just a handful of newsletters. All my important email is basically only available to me on desktop. Like, I... I can't really do much with email except for, like, read my newsletters. You know, I haven't. I've been working on an RSS feed app for years. It's just been so far on the back burner that, like, when it breaks, I don't really bother to fix it until I, like, really feel like using it. So I haven't used RSS feeds or just news feeds of any kind, really, that don't hit me in email. And uh, so I decided to give the Aurora store a try. And I just hadn't gotten it because I didn't need it. Like, I, I don't, again, I don't have apps on my phone. I don't do things on my phone, so I didn't bother. But I got it, gave it a try, and I went to, I got it because I was looking for RSS feed readers. And sure, there's F-Droid and there's websites and all that fun of stuff. But I just kind of wanted to fart around, install one, uninstall it, you know, just, just to mess around. And that's not something I've done uh, on mobile in a really long time. I don't really do that on desktop. I don't really install apps and play with them and then stop um, anymore for a lot of reasons, mostly for privacy, security, all that fun stuff. Like, you never know what an app's going to be, you know, malware package, especially some, you know, open source app that you didn't bother to verify the code on because it takes so long for me to go to their GitHub and verify every line of every page of code. You're just not going to do that. And if you don't believe that's possible... Uh most recent big example would be 3CX. Yeah, sure. Verifying your dependencies. And that's so hard to do with, like, I'll save this for another time, but the reason I was talking to you about, like, the, the console application stuff is mostly for that reason. Like, when you want to build an application without having a whole dev team, like, you're going to have to use tools that are going to have thousands of packages that you just can't verify. It's simply too much. Right, almost anything built with JavaScript is going to have thousands, if not tens of thousands, of packages that have all these weird circular dependencies that you have no control over. To some degree, you just don't have time to audit that, especially as an independent developer. And if they're not open source, then you, as the end user, also you definitely have no idea what's being bundled. Yeah, I mean, in the case of say like JavaScript or whatever, that shouldn't like they're pretty much all open source but yeah i mean that would be a problem for certain packages like especially like mobile apps and stuff so yeah so i got the feed reader and decided to throw some feeds in it and uh the the app specifically it's it's not important what the app is um but this is the one i, I just kind of found it liked it and so far i've, I've been fine with it it's called plenary p-l-e-n-a-r-y I don't have any issues with it. I mean, I actually really enjoy a nice layout for RSS feeds, like with images and that kind of stuff. I turned off like the HTML parsing and, you know, everything I kind of worried me. I'll probably turn off images too, even though they're nice to see. It just makes it much easier to read an app because you know what you're looking at. But mm-hmm. I don't like the, the vulnerability of like, oh no, web, libwebp has a vulnerability and now somebody on Hacker News is exploiting everybody who's got an RSS feeder, feed reader. Yeah. And, like, I don't know that that's really happened, but there's no reason why that couldn't happen. And, like, if anybody's had Discord in, well, what, a really long time now, there there's those exploits in, like, MP4 files, I think, or I think there's also WebP. Either way, there's a problem. Somebody sends you, like, a video or clip or something, and then it just crashes the app, right? It's a JavaScript bug, I believe. It's been a while since I looked into it, but they send you a video, you play it, it crashes the app, and you can't restart it because every time it restarts up, it starts playing, and so you just get this death cycle. And then there's also the bug in, uh, I think, H.264 or something, where somebody could send you a video, and it can just resize and basically take control because, you know, Discord's a web app, so it just takes control of the browser, and so then, then your Windows, and your Windows moving up and down, 
and and you can't control it. You have no till the video is done playing because like it's it's resized and it's awful. So if I'm not mistaken, it I think it had something to do with like resolution changes. Like the way people exploited that bug was like they could, in the middle of the render, they could change the resolution of the the encoding prior or should sorry to the video data prior to the encoding in discord that had nothing to do with discord because it's like an electron app right i don't specifically know if it's electron but it's a web web view 2 app yeah and you know that that's an issue. so anyway that's that's why i don't like those loading images and stuff because you know god forbid so i've been using the rss reader app and after i was done using it i probably spent maybe an hour or so in the morning just gave myself some time to play with it and the aurora store and everything else and i i found myself going wow technology is nice you know like it's this is an rss reader this is rss has been around for 20 years 30 years or maybe even longer i don't remember and like the app is not new and it's just a reader and it doesn't do anything super special but i just hadn't really used say like a piece of new technology or haven't used some type of software to give myself information and play with it and i found it fun and i was like had to sort of analyze the why did i find this fun part and it reminded me sort of like a bit about thinking as tech is like some type of addiction you know like i could see i could feel right then and there what it was that I was like, oh, wow, that was cool. I, I want to open up and play with it again, right? And I guess that's something I've had control of for a while or just haven't really had to deal with because I haven't been using apps like that. I haven't been playing around with apps like that because I've been developing. And I don't know, just something something weird to think about because I haven't felt that bug in a while and kind of reminded me what that feels like. And now I know exactly, you know, like, like that type of addiction dopamine hit type thing. What, you mean like people who buy every new computer and phone that comes out to play with it? Uh, basically, exactly, right? Even hardware, same difference, right? Was that an attack, Bob? <laughs> you know, I didn't think about you when I, when I was doing that. Yeah, talking today from my new iPhone and uh, in M2 MacBook, by the way. So, I, dude, I, so I've tried this. I, I like playing with stuff, and also I like things to work. And I don't mind spending money. Like, if it costs $2,000, $2,500 you know, to buy a laptop. I think that's insanity, but uh, I'll spend it. And uh, there is nothing I've ever bought. I've In the last four years, probably the last three years, I've bought probably 20 laptops. And most of them don't, like I end up returning them within a week because they have some fatal flaw outside of um, security issues or whatever. But like, I'll give you an example. I just, so I bought a very hyped up Asus RG14 laptop, the G14. Okay, very popular laptop. Tons of people are buying them. Great hardware, uh, good battery life, good screens, good keyboard, big trackpad. Um, they sell them in white. I'm a big fan of it. I don't like fingerprints. Um, and I was like, yeah, that'll be a great replacement for my, my Lenovo that just caught on fire. By the way, my $2,000 Lenovo that just caught on fire, it's five months old, four months old. This is the crap that happens to me with laptops. They never last. So I buy this 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 G14 and replacement of it, and uh, the thing, the screen freezes, like your the, the stupid screen. Like Windows isn't frozen, but like I, if I have an external monitor hooked up, that works fine. Computer works fine, but the screen on the laptop freezes, and then it goes black. And the only way to get it out of that is to either if it's plugged in, unplug it, or if it's not plugged in, plug it in, and then it like resets something that makes the screen turn back on and that you cannot, or you can turn it off. You can just like hard power it off with the power button. That'll also reset it. And this happens maybe once every hour, right? Totally unusable. And so I'm like researching it. Like, is it a driver problem? I have the drivers uh, reset the machine. Is that going to fix it? Um, and I'm researching it and they're like, yeah, it's a common problem. It's happened a lot with these Asus laptops. If you can revert the BIOS back, I'm like you can't, I mean, maybe you can't, maybe there's some way to do it, but uh I'm like, this is, and this has been a no joke. I probably bought 20 laptops and every single one of them is something like this. The Dell, you know, the expensive, fancy, you know, MacBook competitor, the Dell, uh, you know, XPS 15. I bought that last year. They've been out for two years at that point. I'm like, yeah, sure. $2,500 laptop, 
Sounds good. Nice screen. OLED screen. Beautiful. Great keyboard. Huge trackpad. Good battery life. All the good stuff, right? Same crap, man. Like that that laptop, the the trackpads, they they don't work. Like the edges, uh, like the sensors under the edges break. And so like now like within about a week of owning the stupid thing, within a couple of days, it's like like yeah, it doesn't click on the edges or it'll randomly click when you don't want it to. Like to bad enough, you can't even use it. It's horrible. So you look into it, it's like, well, is this a flaw? Do I need to return it? Nope. Uh, it's like a build flaw. Like it, a tech, like it's a physical wow. design flaw and everyone has this problem. And this is, like I'm telling you, man, the only machines that I've ever bought where you open the thing up, you install what you need to use and it works, has good battery life, the screens work, the keyboards work, the trackpads work. The only one is a Mac. <laughs> yeah. And I don't love Mac OS. I way prefer Windows or Linux. Like I just, not even for privacy reasons, do I like Linux? Obviously, if I like Windows just as much, compatibility is great. Like the user interface is great. Like the ability to snap Windows if you want to multitask and you want to snap a window to one side doesn't exist in Mac OS. Still doesn't exist. Like there's, there's major like usability problems, at least the way that I like to use a machine. Um, with macOS, but I just keep coming back to them, man, because they actually freaking work. Like, yeah, I can spend two thousand dollars on a laptop and get an incredible machine, and I can and, and guaranteed you buy it and it will work. Like between my, me and my family, we've had tons of iPhones and MacBooks and all sorts of stuff, and uh, I've had one out of all of my family and work and everything else. I've had one Apple device that that had a. Uh, physical problem and it was an iphone 13 mini <clears throat> and about a year into owning it the modem died and this is the dozens and dozens and dozens of machines in our family um, of all different kinds watches and everything else they all work exactly as intended every time and you do not get that as a guarantee with anything else so I have to give kudos to Apple for, and their software too. Like they do give you buttons that are pretty and in the right places. And, you know, they, they know exactly how the user will interact. And that's nice from a usability standpoint. But I think that kind of leads into the topic you want to talk about today, which is in the open market, whose responsibility is it um, to, cr- for the, to make the application usable versus I don't know how to do this either. Yeah, right. How to like whose responsibility is it to make the application um, usable uh, with you know pretty simple buttons and simple logins that you don't have to think about versus technically possible securely, where the end user actually has choice of how it functions, and that's a big question because like the Apple ecosystem is the opposite of you know choice. Uh, they give you the button to push and you push the button and it does the thing, which is great from a, you know, I talk to my phone, my phone does the thing I want. It reads the thing I want it to read. It replies to, I want it to reply to. It hangs up the call when I want it to, you know, it's all fantastic. But I think there's a distinct difference and something probably we can discuss in the process of this between building a bad application that doesn't like, that, that actually doesn't function correctly versus building an application where like there's some complexity in understanding how it works. So I'd say like, like give two examples. One of them would be like a phone app. If we use uh, Vonage or for like our phone calls, you know, one of the businesses that's, that's how we communicate, right? That's great. Works awesome. It's great for, you know, business phone application. Uh, on Android, on several Android phones that I have, that application is horrible. It's not even a matter of like not having choice or in how it functions, but like the thing crashes all the time. If you like close the app when you're using it, um, you can't get back to a phone call that's ongoing. It's just like it's gone now. You could watch the phone calls there, but the uh, y- you can't get back to it. Like that's a flaw in design um, versus like you mentioned with, you know, we talked about Noster. Um, and you can explain a little bit about what that is exactly mm-hmm. where people don't want to have to like manage keys to be able to like uh, manage their identity online. Um, they want a button that'll do that for them or use an email instead. 
most of this, well, I'll, you know, full disclosure was sparked uh, as a conversation on Noster, more or less, uh, or, or because of it. And uh, it's a lot more niche, like beyond niche, than I thought it was. Like, I had seen some market share posts that were like, hey, this is actually, there's a lot of people using this. And then the numbers that I saw um, recently were like between eight to 10,000 daily active users across the, the entire platform, which is there's no way to really know that on, in terms of Noster. Now, well, for, quick, first, give explain yeah. what Noster is. What are we talking about? So real briefly, um, Noster, N-O-S-T-R, uh, notes and other stuff transmitted over relays, I think. And specifically, the GitHub tagline is that it's, it's supposed to be a replacement for Twitter in a sense. It is a very simple open source protocol for a new type of social media, if you want to call it that. Um, the idea is you have relays that sit just out on the internet, available just like any other type of, say, like Tor nodes. They're just kind of well-known and available. Or, you know, you find them through other websites and stuff. But some some people, like real people, just host nodes that are just WebSocket servers. And they just store a simple little database. And you have a very simple JSON structure that allows you to uh, send messages back and forth. There's a bunch of different types and kinds that allow the entire network over one simple protocol to do thousands of different things. Um, there's new AI stuff they're building called data vending machines. But for the most part, you're just kind of uh, writing notes, which are equivalent to, say, like your posts, right? And there was a kind of silly little argument a week or two ago. Just I'm going to call it a post. I'm posting a note. It's a post. So whatever you want to call it, note or post, initially, like the spec would kind of describe it as a note. And a note can be all kinds of things, but right now, if you want to consider it as like a tweet equivalent, um, that's essentially the basis or, or what the intent of Noster is in uh, you know, the broadest terms. And that's how I'm going to discuss it as a sort of like a Twitter replacement. Basically a decentralized uh, feed of, of text. That's sure. basically it. Um, it's, if you think about it in terms of, I hate using this to say like, it's kind of like Twitter, but if you were to take tweets from different types of feeds being relays, people post their notes to relays, right? They send their notes to relays. And then on the other side of that, you know, people receive those notes in their feeds. And so based on followers or all kinds of different client apps have different, uh, algorithms for displaying notes and you can aggregate all of those in your clients and you can just you see posts you see tweets essentially right you see notes so that's that's the overview you know 20 foot of what Noster is so yes decentralized posts or notes and you follow and then you but basically where you manage your identity through a a, a public key that, that's correct you you create a credential private key public key pair um, SCCP 256K1 uh, is the elliptic curve spec. It's the exact same as Bitcoin. That's kind of the point that uh, it was kind of built off of that. Um, and you just create that credential and then you sign messages that are sent. So when you post a message, it has to be signed with your private key. And that's something you have to do on your client side. And then people can see your public key. It's also in the notes. Um, and you would take that public key and you can use that to verify the signature of the data that's sent. So you're using a cryptographic key pair to, again, sign messages and then verify them uh, client side. And so you have this, you know, cryptographic network that will verify and certify messages, if that makes sense. And it's also a way of following someone, right? So like if you, if I wanted this, rather than uh, I go on Facebook and I search for your name and Facebook's database and however they verify that it's you, um, I can say, well, I want to follow whatever you say, whatever notes you post, um, and I would need to ver you know, check that it's you and verify that it's you and then follow you based on a public key. Essentially, everything is based on public keys. Um, the right. base protocol spec essentially says that we're just going to take the X coordinate of your public key and we're going to make it uh, hexadecimal, and so you have a 64-character hexadecimal string that identifies you uniquely you know everybody uniquely there's a bunch of other ways that it's like there's compressed public keys and all kinds of stuff but yes the point is that you have a public key and you're, you're going to use a client to follow somebody with that public key so what's what's the concern 
Like we have Jack Dorsey, right? That's a big, big proponent of uh, making Nostra happen. He's invested a lot of money in a lot of, uh, you know, applications that make it easy to, to use Nostra or developing the protocol. Um, so I know you've mentioned that. So where does that tie into like design of applications? Like where, what, what would be the potential issue with that? If you can conceptualize that it makes sense to have a system like this, which I think that if anybody's on a journey of understanding technology and having like freedom of the ability to speak and doesn't want to be removed, like if you're, if you don't want somebody else to be able to remove you from the internet and your ability to speak, like if you're on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or anywhere else where if you go against the rules, then you can be removed. Um, then, uh, and I assume that's probably why a lot of people would be interested in something like this, right? I want to be very clear um, before I step forward that I'm using this as an example, um, but I really, really enjoy the idea of Nasser and I really hope it thrives. And I'm by no means uh, have, have any sort of sway or influence on the, the platform and I don't mean to attack anybody individually. Because I think that's extremely bad to have any sort of drama. That's not what this is about, just to be clear. It happens to be a pretty good example of something that I've already thought about for a very long time. And my issue comes down to, essentially, discussions over, uh, for the sake of onboarding people, right? The target being we need to get as many people on this app or tool or client or, you know, whatever the platform may be as possible. And therefore... Uh, you know, we're, we're not going to worry so much about the user education, right? And in, in fact, we're probably going to obfuscate as much of that as possible for the sake of onboarding. Like, we just need to cater to uh, the marginal user, which is a, is a term from a blog um, that I read a little while ago, and I'll, I'll try to use that sparingly, but it, it sort of describes the user that is used to the way big money apps already work in the real world um in the, in the world around you that nobody can really compete with but it's it you know those apps are not designed to educate a consumer in fact they're usually designed to make you addicted to the application right so it's like it's almost the entire opposite so what my issue is just the the targeting of users in in terms of just trying to get as many people on the platform as possible and then we'll figure out the rest later and you know i obviously have no education on this type of topic like a lot of people do but it's just something i've really kind of thought about even like at work in terms of like the amount of issues that we had or have from consumers is the lack of education in consumers right like the support problems come from that there's no friction in the purchase, right? Like I can just buy this thing under my own assumptions based on how everything else works and expect this product to work identical. And then when it doesn't, you know, I have an angry person on the, on the phone that I have to explain how the technology works to. Yeah. You're using it wrong or you're expecting it to solve a problem. It can't solve because that's not what it's for. I mean, it really comes down to, like I argued this earlier, um, as much of a capitalist as I am, there are some, these are the side effects to it to some degree, right? Like there, there's, if you look at it in terms of my goal is to make as many sales as possible, then I will have no choice but to do what the user uh, needs me to do, what the majority of users are asking for, right? And they're asking for it to be easier and they're asking for it to have less friction and they're asking for it to not shift as hard and they're asking for it not to, you know, do X, Y, or Z and they just want it to, to do these things. And I don't need it to do anything else, right? And I don't care how any of it works, right? And oftentimes, like, there's a very large argument to say, not only do I not care how it works, but you better make sure that I don't have to ever care how the platform works, right? Mm -hmm. And from the development side of things, right, that, that does bother me a lot. But from the, like, the capitalist side of things, you totally get it. That's how it works, right? Like if your goal is to make money and your goal is to sell a product and your goal is to get people on, you will have no choice but to compromise on everything possible to cater to what that person wants, right? Or to what the marginal user wants. If your target is to get as many people as possible. You'll never be able to explain to the person who doesn't know and doesn't want to know 
why they didn't get the result they were looking for. They don't need to know why. They don't care to know why. They just know that if it doesn't work, it's your problem. So, but then the question is like, I mean, it, if the goal is to build something that's as usable to the marginal, the marginal user as possible, and you can build the tools to make it so that it's possible for them to just buy the thing and it works for them, um, and they're happy with it, why is that an issue? Like, why, you know, why would it be a problem for me to, say, make a Noster app that, um, that makes it so I can put in a username and a password and sign in just like I would with Facebook and my feed shows up just like it would with, uh, um, you know, with whoever I want to follow on, you know, on Twitter. And, uh, and I don't have, like, I can search by a name if there's, like, other people that use the application, like this same Noster application to interface with the protocol. Um, I can search by people's names and I can, you know, there's a fancy tool and I understand that it's cool because now I can see their, pre you know, their public key and I know that it's them. Like, okay, cool. The app told me that it was true. Um, well, if I'm the developer of the application, I probably wouldn't want to lie to you about it. I probably do want to make sure you follow the people that are, that I want to follow. And I want people to be able to follow me too, because why be on the platform if I can't see you and you can't see me? Um, I mean, if, if somebody could simplify that by giving just a simple username, password, login, why is that, why do I need to understand the protocol for the idea of that, that protocol and that application to work? I mean, if the goal is to get people to use something that's decentralized like that, why does it become uh, not a good idea if you make it simple? If I don't know how to use a private key and a public key, I don't even know what that means. I just know that I want an account. Um, why, why abstracting that? Why would abstracting that be an issue? Let's start with my intentions for, say, like the platform. Like I, it had gotten in my circles more or less popular like I, I heard it talked about a lot i finally did some investigation figured out just over the past six months if that things have changed dramatically in terms of usability in in public applications etc specifically on on nostra i didn't want to get involved in in a conventional way until i built my own type of vault like i understand public key encryption you know i think to a, a decent degree i understand asymmetric encryption i understand the the need to keep keys safe and all that fun stuff and then you take that type of application and those two to me didn't mix right like there's no way to use somebody's app if i have to give you my secret key right it's not the same as a username and password where like the security level is different specifically to noster you have one private key in case of uh, SCCP 256k1 you have a 32 byte private key like that's it it's just a random string of 32 bytes right that is your that is your identity forever right if anything ever happens to that like let's say it was generated poorly right with bad bad entropy right on bad hardware slow hardware something that was predictable um, maybe you generated it in some unconventional means maybe you got used another website or some other external source to uh, generate that and it could have been compromised in some way there's so many ways that your secret key can get compromised in anything right like look at any cyber security platform right think about uh certificates private keys public keys you have to be very careful with those and for the sake of onboarding if my app just has a pop-up that says enter your your private key to use this app so you can start signing messages Right. Well, I'm just going to keep my private key stored in like notepad or something that's really easily accessible just so I can get on the platform. Well, now your, your private key is is all over the place in memory on your phone and in, you know, cold storage on your phone, not in secured locations. And a lot of apps, you know, to their credit, have said, like, avoid as much as possible using your private key. Um, but it's still really popular to do just because I want to use the platform. And I've been tempted. Don't get me wrong, but it's never happened. So I've been working on Envault, which is my Vault platform uh, that uses a web extension, essentially, um, that allows me to use my credentials without actually having my credentials on me. Right, They're on a remote server, locked away, um, and it's, it's built so that it's impossible for the private key to be removed unless I have physical access to the machine. And that was my prerequisite for getting onto the platform. 
Now that all sounds really complicated that I had to spend, you know, tens or hundreds of hours building this application to get on it, which the vast, vast majority of people are not going to do. And that's entirely understandable, right? However, the underlying platform or protocol, right, relying on certificates or public key, private key credential pairs, right, is extremely complex in terms of like how you generate it, how you generate them safely, how you store them safely, because once you lose it, like it's gone forever if you lose it, right? There is no such thing as backing it up in, in like when you say forgot password, right? That doesn't count. You can't do that. Um, you know, if it ever gets leaked, someone takes over your account or your profile, it's gone forever. It's theirs now, right? Um, and those are big deals. And so if you'd abstract that from somebody, they may not, to me, I see it as like, you don't understand the gravity of the platform, right? You don't understand the gravity of what it means to secure uh, private key, public key pairs, credentials. And, you know, if you're using, say, like a, a mobile app, right, that might abstract it to the device, right? And then all you know is your phone is, like, Nostra's on your phone and that's it, right? Like, that's all you know, right? If you ever lose your phone, right, and maybe you don't have good backups of your phone itself, then you're gone off the platform forever, right? Or your phone gets stolen. In any one of those cases, you can't just say, like, ah, I forgot password and change my password real quick. If your phone's stolen, it's gone forever, right? You've just now lost your Nostra account, right? Or you may have it, but somebody else has it now too, right? And so to me, right, it's the same issue with sort of any type of cryptocurrency, Bitcoin in particular, where, like, it's just so complicated, to understand these things i'm just going to use a custodial account right i'm just going to sign in to you know a big one is albi or you know pick your wallet um wallet of satoshi is another one for lightning now is really popular and that's just a custodial platform where you use your username and password and the platform stores your keys for you you could argue proton proton mail no different right they're just hosting your gpg key pair for you you can download those and back those up, but you can't create a new Proton account from your own keys. Maybe you can, but I don't think so. Um, so th that's all, that's a custodial system, right? I'm just using a username and password and maybe some type of two-factor authentication and um, to get myself in. But the underlying platform, right, relies on a very important type of technology, which is critical to you using the platform, right? Um, the security and uh, privacy is extremely important to you using it. And so I get nervous in the talks of let's, let's abstract that from people for terms of getting them online. And that may work for a while and that may work for the largest majority of people. But personally, I don't think it's fair. Um, you know, this is how I see it in, in some case like dangerous that I'm just going to appeal to the marginal user to get them online and they get to use their username and pla uh, password. And then they're, they're using some, third-party site to host their keys for them and you know they get hacked or the company that's hosting it disappears right that's the, the entire crypto crash that happened what last year or the year before was essentially all that like ftx like no one would have lost a dime if they owned their eight ftx i mean they wouldn't have gotten stolen from them right they would have lost money and that ftx coin is you know thin air but if their their wallets weren't custodial they weren't hosted by the platform by a username and password then they would have never lost anything. Yeah. Right. Pick your Bitcoin exchange. No different. Yeah. You're just, you're at that point, you're just paying someone else to manage your key for you. So you don't have to. Right. Hoping, and I think that's fine for some people. Yeah. You're hoping that they do a better job of securing it and also maybe offer a few features that make it simple to interface with that you don't want to do yourself or don't have the ability to do yourself. You're trading so so you're gaining risk in terms of not say hosting your own keys or holding your own keys right so like let's say cryptocurrency for example right if you're not holding the keys to your wallet you don't really own that right if you don't have your cash on you then like your bank owns your cash right like there's so many of those types of things you you're trading like you're adding risk in in terms of you not having it yourself um, or, or having it on you in because of complexity reasons or, you know, numerous reasons. And uh, you have to trust somebody, right? And I don't know that that's going to be extremely clear to people. It's like, hey, let's just sign up for this app. 
but what you're not doing is like saying that this identity is not yours essentially like you get to use it as long as you have username and password but if we ever get hacked or the company disappears or our servers get stolen or you know we just go bankrupt then you lose your account forever right like and i'm gonna say account but you lose your identity your online identity and like i think that's a big deal and so sure we won't get around the whole you know the majority of people don't understand key pairs and they won't use them properly so it's probably better for them to use a custodial account but now we're not as decentralized as we were before right like whoever's the way i see it is wherever the venture capital goes is what's going to determine the outcome of the platform right whenever somebody gets a sniff and decides that it's worth the investment right and they start investing in what usually makes the most sense right these entire all of these crypto pop-ups only worked because they were centralized right claiming right running on the entire premise that it was beyond decentralized like that's all it was but it was so complex that no one could actually access the decentralized network that i needed to use a centralized platform to get me on it well you don't own that anymore then it's sitting on their servers not yours i mean i'm sure what you'll see is you'll see uh well you have to make an agreement right so like if you sign up for a platform x platform that manages your keys you want to sign up for nostra and they they but they prompt you they say hey we're gonna we're gonna secure this through you know oauth or through a you know email and password and with your email and password you have access to your your private key sort of still abstracted from you because i'm just going to give you buttons that let you navigate you to the thing you want to see but like but i will give you a formal warning you have to click a big red button that says i understand that that as a platform, I'm managing your keys for you. What that does is that adds um, that adds pain to the process. Um, and like that, if I'm the user signing up for it, it's like, well, don't give me more pop-ups. Don't give me more buttons to click. Um, but is that good enough? I mean, if you say like, I'm gonna I'm gonna put a bunch of money into it, develop an app, make it so like with a username and password or with a you know, that's how I'm going to secure their account that manages their key. Um, but I warned them that that's what's happening. Like, do you acknowledge this? Here's a video explaining it. Here's an article explaining it. Like, it's going to turn people away and then they won't want to use it. And then the platform doesn't exist because no one uses it. There's no point in being somewhere to communicate that no one else is there to communicate. Um, but that does get, bring you back to, well, what the hell's the point of the platform then? because you might as well just then use Twitter. Like if anything could happen to any of the platforms or move it, that's the whole point of having Nostra. That's the point, that's sort of the point of having Bitcoin is that you have control of the key that is your money. As long as you can find a place to put 32 bytes or 64 hex characters somewhere uh, in your brain, uh, write it down, get it tattooed. I don't know, as long as you can store it, that is your money. Please don't tattoo your keys on yourself. But yeah, the idea is that, I mean, if you you have to be the bank if you are the place where value is stored, yeah. right? Like if, if I have the only key is in my hands or, you know, on a piece of paper or wherever it may be, then that that's mine forever. And theoretically, no one can take it unless, you know, the cryptography part is cracked or um, I leak it or some, some information about how my key was generated got leaked, etc. So <clears throat> in terms of, say, uh, Noster, in your example... Um, of saying like a website, let's just sign up username and password. Well, one that obviously poses centralization risk, which I think is what you were going for. Um, and you know, why does that become an issue? That's a probably a topic for another discussion, but I think your example would be the bare minimum I would expect for a custodial platform is that, uh, we're going to manage your keys for you. You have to check these boxes. So you know that we're managing these keys for you. Um, but they're, they're ours theoretically they're on our platform and we're simply adding giving you convenience right for you know your trust in us but it also it could be convenience and security if somebody doesn't know how to manage their keys and a platform who does care and has an interest in managing them for you properly um, yeah they have a bigger attack surface but like if i wanted my grandma to text or to put notes out on the internet um as herself and have to manage keys to do that, it would be, I would argue it's safer for me to let big random platform uh, do that for her because there's probably a good chance they're gonna manage it better than she will. 
Yeah, and that that's a really big issue, and I totally get it. And that was kind of the point that I hadn't finished earlier was saying, like, where does the VC go, the venture capital? And I think that's where everybody on Nostra needs to keep their eyes peeled is when money starts flowing in. It's going to come from some somebody that's likely trying to make money, right? Um, that's kind of the point. And a fantastic opportunity to do that is to, uh, if you're trying to onboard as many people as possible, most of those people aren't going to manage their keys securely. And nobody's going to sit through your class, no matter how short it is or how much, you know, if it's free. They're not going to sit through the class to learn how the platform works. They just rather sign in with username and password. And so, and I see this asked. Well, people like you and me all sit through their class so we can tell them how they did it wrong. <laughs> but I mean, I see this regularly on the platform is like, I just want to use a username and password and log in, right? So you're asking for a custodial platform. Like I, I don't see any other way, other way around that. Now, there are certain custodial platforms that use, now for Bitcoin, uh, they call it multi-sig or multi-signature, and that is where the platform only holds one of your keys, and you get to privately store another one in an app that makes it easy to hold, and so you just have less risk of it becoming a problem. So, you know, where I see the the issue, of course, is, you know, the risk of centralization there. Um, and the risk of, you know, the term that Bitcoin is used, rugging. And that's just where, you know, the, the platform steals everything from you and disappears. And there's no real money to be made off of hosting people's Nostra identities that I know of yet. But there probably will be some type of way. Um, but that's that's the only thing I'm, I'm concerned about is once money starts flowing in there, the greatest opportunity to offer somebody convenience, probably more security. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I guess really just those two things, convenience and, and potentially security for the most amount of people will end up getting everybody to just use this one platform to create their identity on, right? The, you can send your grandmas in the world. If you, if you want to use this platform, then you will just have to go to so-and-so.com. Like that's, that's just the easiest way to get started just going to this one website.com. And that's going to get popular and then people are going to market it. And so it's just going to end up being this, this centralization cycle as it usually goes to. Right, because people just want that frictionless, right, that convenience. So there's not even, there's not a problem and a solution here. I'm just hearing that there's. I mean, yeah. Uh, if if there's anything to sort of conclude here, it's that I don't have any answers. I just am concerned, and I want other people to be sort of alert to the say risk of say centralization. You should always be cognizant of what it is you're doing as much as you possibly can like if if there was one thing right the whole goal of this show more or less was to give people solutions to a problem now i don't really have a end all but you know we've kind of talked about uh for instance like uh linkedin or bitwarden or one of these self-hostable applications where the tech person in the family you know assuming they can take the initiative and they have the ability to you know financially or, or time-wise can host this solution and let's say in my case if if i finish envault anytime soon um then it's a self-hosted credential vault where let's say the tech person in the family could host it and all of their family members can just communicate to that server and use their nostra identity right and access it and then the owner of the platform holds the keys right and so if, if grandmom can't access her account or whatever um you can manually override it or reset the password or whatever it may be and so then they can get access and they can't accidentally export the keys or leak the keys or anything like that right um there's a lot of ways to sort of secure that platform now it obviously relies on a central server but the idea is that we decentralize that as much as possible in terms of like the tech person and the family hosts it instead of having to have you know, mom or grandma go to uh, so-and-so.com to sign up on that platform where they don't have control and neither do you as the tech person to help them, right? So I think that's some type of solution in all types of technology, right? Like the, the password management or um, bookmark management, right? If you can get one of your family members to use this instead of using big tech uh, in place of it, right, then, you know, there's lots of risks, but also hopefully you have less risk in terms of adding privacy and some type of security to your family members um, by hosting it, you know, yourself. Yeah. I mean, it, if, if, uh, if you want to take on that look on it, I, I agree. And there's a lot of reasons why that 
for for what a hundred years now, we've had you know the the cousin, the uncle, sure. the brother, maybe the aunt. We're being I feel like I'm being mean to grandmas, so maybe grandma um, is the is the mechanic in the family. If your car breaks down, like there's you're driving a you're you're driving a weapon down the road, you know, and if mismanaged somebody doesn't put your tire on right you know you're you're very likely to crash and kill someone which i would argue is probably slightly more important than if you can put a note on the internet for most people maybe not if you're a journalist let's just say grandma probably shouldn't have social media anyway that's just my take on it okay that was a little far meemaw you can have you can have facebook it's okay but but we we you know we rely on the person in the family who's good at being a mechanic or the one that we think could um, without any knowledge of their actual competence. Because if you don't under, like if I don't know how to solve a problem and I ask you to do it for me because I believe that you're better at it than I am, um, then you are, like I'm entrusting you without the ability to understand the extent of your knowledge. You might be an idiot. You might have basically, you might have no idea on how to torque you know, a lug nut down on the car properly. And you could be putting the wheel on the, you know, the car and it would fall off, you know, five miles down the road and, you know, kill, <laughs> it might kill Mima, you know? Um, but I'm entrusting you to do that without the ability to understand your ability to actually solve the problem appropriately. And that comes down to the same thing with, uh, you know, if you trust someone in your family to manage your keys for you. It's like, if I, if I run, you know, Bitwarden and LinkedIn and I run, you know, a Bitcoin node or whatever for my family and they use it so they don't have to learn it. Um, they're trusting me to do it because they don't know how, which means that they don't know how I might be wrong. Um, or maybe I'm just a dick and I want to steal their Bitcoin keys. I offer to hold them for them and I, <laughs> you know, I run away. But that's always going to be an issue. That's a humanity issue, you know, like you can trust me to do something and I might not maliciously try to cause a problem, um, but I could unintentionally cause a problem. It's just a matter of who you trust. So do you trust the shop when you, when grandma takes a car in or do you trust, you know, your kid or, you know, your brother, whatever it may be. Do you trust the family member more than you trust the big tech platform? And right now I think, I don't know about everybody's family. Um, but for me, it's very hard to convince, you know, even if, if I show them the code, they'd still rather just sign up on Facebook because it makes more sense. Um, you know, so I can't speak to everybody's family. But if you have that, I think I would take as much advantage of that as possible in terms of, like, help your family out if they trust you uh, with technology and you think you're capable of, of helping them if it gets them off big tech, right? So do you trust your family members being on big tech? Or, you know, is there a reason for them to believe that they can trust you more? Than big tech and there's a myriad of reasons why you would choose one or the other um you know there are some there are a lot of privacy major privacy concerns when it comes to social media on large tech platforms um and i, I think that most of us even if you misunderstand it understand what that problem is everyone including me does you know when she's when she's uh you know sitting around talking about knitting and then you know, all of a sudden she gets an ad for a knitting company she just met, you know, just talked about two minutes ago. And they're like, Facebook's listening. Everyone sees that problem. Now, that's not how it works. Facebook's not listening to you. Uh, but we understand that there are some privacy concerns. Um, and everyone does know that. I would say more than just your average person understands privacy concerns. Even if you misunderstand them, you understand that they're there. Uh, but there's also some, like, protections too so uh i guess maybe it's a matter of misunderstanding what it's for but it's been presented to you as a good way of like how do you store photos of your grandkids and make it so when you know when you lose your phone or you get a new one or whatever it's like i can get them from facebook you know and facebook won't lose them for me like um they've always been there and so there's a lot of reasons to want to use a different like centralized platform again it comes back to it's convenience and they give you some extra tools, you know, that uh, the same reason people use, you know, custodial accounts or other people's websites that give them something that they wouldn't have had on their own. Um, and so it becomes a, I feel like this conversation is sort of a little abstract and nonsensical in some way, but 
it's, I suppose it's worth thinking about the reasons why you would make the choices you make them. Um, and as much as possible, try and understand uh, what the consequences of those choices are or what they potentially could be. What are the trade-offs? Instead of just ignoring the trade-offs and um, assuming that everyone else is looking out for your best interest. I think that's really what it comes down to. And I think, at least in America, um, you know, I, I don't have the credentials to say this, but I'm going to anyway. I think, you know, my opinion is that we're often very naive in that we kind of assume that authorities have our best interests at mind. And I think if there's nothing this podcast can bring, maybe not now, but in the future, is that that isn't true in a lot of ways. It, they, they may have had the best of intentions initially, but it usually comes down to for this platform to survive in the guarantees we made you, we have to compromise on basically everything else, right? For, for Facebook to survive, right, their, their only survival mechanism of income is by selling your data and running you ads and spying on you. It's the only way they can exist, right, financially. And in terms of, say, the centralization problem, like why can Facebook exist and nobody else can compete with them, right, comes down to, in my opinion, an economics problem, right? Um, and if you haven't read a book called Basic Economics by Thomas Sowell, um, and you're not an, an econ major or have an econ degree, I think that's really worth understanding the economics and incentive structure that exists just everywhere. And I think he puts it very succinctly in... I don't know, the first, maybe second or third chapter, talking about, say, economies of scale. The centralization problem is very, uh, I shouldn't call it a problem, like the centralization exists for economic benefit until it gets too big, right? Um, and then you always have middleman and all that fun stuff. But the idea is that it's always cheaper to centralize. So. Which, by the way, I'll say, when, you, when he said authorities, he's not talking about, like, government authorities specifically it's anyone in the authoritative position of a transaction all right let's try to make this one a little bit shorter sorry for cutting the clip right there at the end there was a little bit more we had to say but realistically that was just kind of it again this is a different format for us i just kind of had something i really wanted to uh chat with dusty about and felt like it was worth hearing and i've been sitting in this episode for a while so again sorry for that trying to get a little bit more regular with this but it's it's kind of tough when these episodes are long and hard to edit so anyway feedback is vnpublic at proton.me send us an email there if you're using proton of course highly suggested to use encrypted email i'm on noster that's my primary form of social media you can find all of the links you'd need to contact me and of course the description of this episode in the description uh, as long as uh, as well as my website that is uh, my handle is chiptuner at volnugent.com or just chiptuner depending on what nostr client you're using it's the best way to reach me on any type of social media my nostri will have all of the links you need so nostri n-o-s-t-r-e-e dot me forward slash chiptuner that should be able to pull up all of my stuff that will include podcast stuff my software contact information anything you might need so Anyway, thank you so much for listening. If this is in the middle of your holidays, I think this should be New Year's-ish. So happy New Year to everybody. Um, take care. Thanks for listening.